3: get my new memoir bookends a memoir of love loss and literature wherever books are sold starting july 1st and my children's book princess charming you can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com but really you're here to learn more about the authors and that is what we're going to do also be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the zcast podcast network you can learn more at zcastnetwork.com and definitely check out those shows as well Go to zivyowens.com. Aileen Weintraub is the author of Knocked Down, a high risk memoir. She is an award winning author, journalist, and editor. Aileen has written for The Washington Post, Glamour, NBC, and AARP, among others. She has also published several children's books, including We Got Game 35 Female Athletes Who Changed the World. Her debut book for grown ups, Knocked Down, is a laugh out loud story about marriage, motherhood, and the risks we take. Welcome, Aileen. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Knocked Down, a high-risk memoir.
2: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here today.
3: I love this hot pink cover, by the way. I love attention. I mean, it's just such a great... Are you so excited about your cover? or do, What do you
2: think? I love my cover. We went through a couple of rounds of covers, and you know, the, the first round didn't really express the entirety of the book, and it, there was actually, like, a pregnancy stick on the first draft. And I was like, this book is so much more than just about pregnancy, but I really like the hot pink on the positive side. So yeah, do something with that, and they came back with this. Oh, and I said also, I was like, I really kind of want a tiara on the cover. If we can, we can make that happen. So, yeah, so I when I saw this draft, I, like... I screamed. I was so excited. So Aww,
3: it's really great. Okay. Well, why don't you tell listeners a little about what this book is about?
2: Sure. So Knockdown is about being a Brooklyn girl who moves to the country, ends up having this whirlwind romance and ends up on pregnancy related bed rest in a rickety old farmhouse for five months. And everything starts to go wrong. My marriage starts to crumble because it's a new marriage. And we've really just We've just bought a new business. The house is falling down. And all of a sudden I realized, you know, my father had died and I never gave myself the chance to breathe. And so now I'm staring at the walls all day. And so I start to really process my entire relationship with my father and allow myself that time to unpack uh, his life and the kind of man he truly was. And all this is going on while I'm fighting for the survival of my unborn child.
3: Wow. You had this really great line about, and I'm so sorry for the loss of your father, and you really brought him to life, which in itself, I feel like is a mitzvah for this book. Do you know what I mean? When you really, you know, I can hear his voice and I don't know, you did just such a great job, or at least who I think he was based on your book. I mean, maybe you did a terrible job. I don't know. But <laughs> You certainly crafted some sort of a character who I feel like I know well, but you did, you wrote this, you said, there is a saying that a boy becomes a man when he loses his father, but what about a girl? What does she become? And then you just ended the chapter with that.
2: Yeah, it's you know, it's grief is such an odd thing, especially in our culture. We don't really have the tools in place to to grieve and to like at least you know, even in the Jewish religion, there's a lot of tradition around grieving, but it's but then you're supposed to kind of move on and not talk about it or. And it stays with you. And, you know, my father has died over 20 years ago now. And I I just did the audio narration last week. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was in the city all last week in the studio. And that was, and I really saw my book in a whole new way. And the hardest parts for me to read were about my father. And I realized I'm still holding on to this grief. And it's not something we ever actually let go entirely. And it's, you know, grief is like, it's like the roots of the tree. It it spreads and spreads. And so you have to keep nurturing that and processing it over and over. And it's, it's a lifetime thing, I think.
3: I mean, I was just talking to somebody about this, but it's like the longing doesn't end, the missing and the longing. And you'll always miss the person. Like it's, there's always something missing when, so whether you get over it, you can't get over it. Like you don't want to live without this person. You know, it's very, I don't know.
2: Right. Absolutely. And after doing the narration and really, I mean, when you're writing it, it's its one thing when you're speaking it out loud and you're living these scenes over and over, like there's this scene when I'm a little girl and my father, and I used to play this game, you know, he really suffered from depression, but he really tried to be present for me. And there's this scene that, he, you know, I would stand in front of him on the sofa because he. there were just days he couldn't get off the sofa, but he still wanted to be a dad. And so we would play this game where I'd run across the room. You know, I was like three or four and he'd flip me over and I'd stay between the couch and his back. And like, I would just stay there for hours. And I'd draw pictures on his back and he would sleep or watch TV and we would kind of talk. And that was a way for us to have closeness. And when I was reading that scene, like, I had to stop myself from, like, the tears streaming down my face.
3: I I cried three different times recording my audiobook, by the way, about my memoir. I I was just like, you know, because it brings it all right back. You know, you're right there because you're you're trying to show somebody what it is, but then you have to relive it. And, oh, my gosh. Well, you did it. I mean, you know, it was a a heartfelt depiction of it. And I I feel like the loss— courses through. And I feel it's a, a misnomer to make this about pregnancy, even though that is the device you use to organize it, which I really found clever, you know, five days on bed rest, or five years before bed rest, or 18 weeks one day. Like I really, I love that kind of timing, how you put everything in context that way. That was very clever. But also you, you confronted really a trauma, which is like, you know, you've had to stop your life to save a life, right? Which I understand. I was on bed rest with twins, which was like horrific for weeks on end. So I relate to this plight. But you said, you had another paragraph that I loved. You said, sometimes there is simply no pill or procedure or anything else. Sometimes it's just you and whatever or whomever you believe in trying to figure out how to get through the next moment. I had a hard time coming to terms with the idea that we just that we couldn't just fix this, that I couldn't just fix this. What if I just didn't do it? Would I really lose the baby? What was I willing to risk? And I think that's, that's that feeling of like, wait, like I, I cannot do anything about this. It's the worst. And anyway, you captured it so well. Tell me more about this, this moment and how you were feeling.
2: Yeah. So as women and, you know, and as mothers now, we feel like we have to do everything. And so This idea that we're going to be on bed rest, and I'm sorry to hear that you were on bed rest. So many women have reached out to tell me about their experiences with their pregnancies through this book, which I think is amazing because it starts a conversation. But, you know, we're expected to do everything and hold it all together. And when your life just stops, I I don't think that the medical profession really understands what that means or necessarily cares. And especially there's not only the physical aspect of it, but but your mental aspect. I lost my autonomy. Our finances began to suffer. Nobody prepared me for any of that. No one seemed to care. You know, I don't want to give too much of the book away, but towards the end, there's this question of whether it was even necessary to be on bed rest for five months. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, (laughs) <laughs> Why are you telling me this now? My my marriage is in shambles. My I've lost my job. I can barely walk and now there's going to be this whole other human in the house that I'm responsible for. And I think giving us ourselves especially as women permission to just be sick or be, you know, just take care of ourselves even if it's a little self-care or To to have, you know, this ability to say, hey, I need to do this for myself and my family and it's going to be okay and I shouldn't have guilt or shame around it.
3: I think that some people related to it more post-lockdown.
2: Yeah. Because I'm
3: like, this feels familiar, you know, (laughs) I can't leave my house, like I can't do anything, except then everybody was going through it. But you're right, I think it's very easy to say, you should do this, it might help because... If you, I mean, cause then also when, when they say that to us as women, well, what if I don't and it, and it like, then it's my responsibility, then I ruined it. Like, then I lost the, then I caused this. Like, so you have to just do it. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. how could you live
2: with yourself? And the way we speak about women and healthcare is appalling. I mean, I was told I had an incompetent cervix. I was like, and there's a line like, that's like five years of therapy right there right? Like my, now my cervix is incompetent, (laughs) you know? So that all has to change. And what I would love to see in every single doctor's office is, and not just for pregnancy, but for perimenopause and menopause, like you're not like a little pamphlet that says, here are the symptoms to watch out for. This is, you know, you're not alone. Here's a number to reach out for, for help, whether it's, you know, because when I was on bed rest, it, it wasn't, you know, I started feeling postpartum of prenatal anxiety and prenatal depression. Yep. Nobody asked about that. And that, you know, because you're just supposed to be happy, you're still pregnant. And pregnancy is not always this happy, glorious time. And I think it's okay to acknowledge that.
3: It's true. After my twin pregnancy, for my next pregnancy, which wasn't until six years later. The whole time I was like I cannot believe I can be out and about. I can't believe I get to go to this. I can't believe I get to go to that. Like I could I just couldn't believe that I was like a pregnant woman out in the world just like living my normal life and that that's what a lot of people's experience is like. But anyway, I don't mean to I mean the the pregnancy of course was the vehicle for your story, but it was not the whole story. So I don't want to make people think this book is only about that, but of course that is a central piece
2: of it for everything that happens because life doesn't really happen one thing at a time, right? Like life happens all together. So I'm pregnant on bed rest. We've also just bought this new business. The house is also falling down. We're also having marital problems. So bed rest is kind of the catalyst, but so much happens to people all the time. And it's just how you deal with it and what you learn from it.
3: So true. Oh my gosh. You on the dairy farm. It's like,
2: I can't believe it.
3: You know, I'm also really interested in in the journey of your writing this book because I read in your acknowledgements how it even started and how at one point you had a draft like in a plastic bag that you just like threw somewhere. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about, about becoming the author of the book.
2: Yeah. So just to speak about the plastic bag. So I do this thing <laughs> when something scares me and like, I, like a contract, you know, even if it's a good contract or something like that, or A manuscript or an article, like I wrap it up in plastic and I'll like shove it into like my, like a really big armoire in the back, like that'll protect me from it. (laughs) So, so it's just a funny thing I do. Like when I get, I'm like, okay, we're just gonna get this as far away, you know, we're gonna put like a massive piece of wood, cherry wood between me and this, this manuscript for a while. But yeah, so the process is that there was no real process. What happened was I started this book club for moms. And we read The Happiness Project, and or half of it, or parts of it, because that's all we had time for, as you know, moms don't have time to read, right? So I, you know, after that, I was like, hey, you know, it's been five years I'm holding on to this trauma, and I want to tell this story, and I want to help other women because I think like hundreds of thousands of women a year are put on bed rest, and there's no almost no research about it. And the research is very conflicting. And I just want to give people ideas about what to do when they're on bed rest. Like, for example, having a tray table was a life changer, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so that's actually how the book started. And I had a friend who was like, hey, I think you should go for it. And honestly, if she had said, I was so ambivalent at the time, if she had said, ah, it's not a good idea, I would probably have not pursued it. So it's really important to have good people around you who believe in you, sometimes more than you believe in yourself. And I just started writing and I was full-time momming. And so I would write, I would write in the school parking lot, like I'd scribble notes, like waiting for pickup or in the grocery store line or the doctor's office. And for a really long time, and it, it took 10 years to write this book. And for a really long time, I didn't give it a priority. And finally I realized, hey, I deserve some time each day So I, instead of putting it at the bottom of my list, I put writing at the top of my list and that changed everything. And every, my list still got done, right? Or maybe it didn't. And that's okay. That's okay. Because now I have this book that I'm really proud of.
3: Wow. I mean, that's, I mean, that's it with really all of the things. I mean, this whole thing is a joke, right? Not a joke, but that moms don't have time to whatever, because we all have time and we just have to figure out how to use it. And of course, with kids and jobs and everything else, like our our available free time is limited and limited. But if you want to write and you want to make that a job, like if you want to, like things, other things have to give, you know, something always has to give, right? Like you're not going to watch TV or you're not going to be on Instagram for a day, but maybe that's the day you write. Or I think we all have to sort of trick ourselves into making the time for the things that are important. And if it's putting it in our calendars or it's putting it on the top of a to-do list or Something or or finding a partner to you know Gretchen Rubin. I know I, and I loved how you mentioned the Happiness Project even in your book as you did now. But I feel like I've had this life changing thing about her four tendencies. Did you read that book?
2: Yeah, the four yeah.
3: tendencies. Go like take the quiz or or whatever. But it it identified me as one of these four types, which is Obliger, which means that like I can do anything professionally or that needs to be done for somebody else. It'll always be on time and I'll get it done. But when it comes to the stuff for myself, and in that I include like even my friends or my husband or whatever, like that all like falls by the wayside because I view that a me thing and that can wait. And I need to do that. I need like reinforcement or accountability or something. So I, I think that's the same thing. I think that's why book clubs are so important, right? We want to read, so we make a book club. Like- you want to write, like you have a a writing group. You even like named your writing group after your friends or whatever. So if you know that you are somebody who needs that extra level of, of accountability, there's no shame to it. And in fact, she said it's the most pervasive personality type. So I feel like I just got this free pass. Like I thought it was a weakness of mine that I needed help, but actually it's super common and we all need help. And so how great is that? So anyway, <laughs> maybe that helps with
2: that. And it also comes back to giving ourselves as moms permission to do things for ourselves and not put ourselves last. Because ultimately, when I've spent a couple of hours writing, I'm so much more present. I'm
3: mm-hmm.
2: not I, you know, I'm doing something that's important to me. And I, I think we have to give ourselves permission to be kind to ourselves, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's true.
3: It's true. So... Having the, gone through this process of maybe it's a book, maybe it's not. Now it is. Now it's out. So, like, what does that feel like to you? Like, how, like, how, what is what is the sensation of like looking at the finished thing? And you
2: yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing to see. You know, this book went through so many drafts, and so I there was this time like we were in my writing group, we spread it out on my friend's giant table, chapter by chapter and weaved in all these threads. And, you know, in one of the initial drafts, my father wasn't as big a theme, but it was there. And so someone suggested making, you know, so it was more, more about bed rest at that point. And someone said, there's, you know, there's more to this. So let, you know, let's pull out the themes and and explore them. And so it was so obvious that that was the one that really needed to, to come out. And so, the part about my father was weaved in afterwards, actually. So that wasn't in the earlier drafts. So it's really been such an exploration of not only a writing process and of course my life, you know, and, and how things unfold and how things relate. And I learned so much about my family of origin, writing this book. So it's, it's been life-changing and also what I can handle as a person, Mm -hmm. right. And what, how I can survive and what I can get through and how and the wisdom that I, I've taken from that.
3: Very interesting. So does this has this inspired you to write another book?
2: <laughs> so, that's like the million dollar question. <laughs> so before this, I'm I'm a children's book author and a journalist, and so I just had this other book come out a year ago called We Got Game, uh, thirty five female athletes who changed the world, and so that's doing well. And I love writing for children, and I'd love to do another children's book, but but I'm also a journalist. And so yes, there's definitely a feeling that as soon as I'm, I feel like I put as much energy I can into marketing this book and pub, you know, publicizing it, I definitely wanna do another book. And I think it, it's also gonna revolve around women's health and making sure women are seen and heard. And I think it might have to do with perimenopause and menopause, I, I think I wanna bring in other voices and talk to women about their experiences because I think for this book, what I've heard the most is that women want to tell their stories. And, you know, there is, I was in the gym and it seems to always happen in the gym. And, you know, you, you, you work out in the gym and you kind of know people and you're friendly, but you're not like talking a lot. And I'm, I'm standing there lifting weights. And this woman comes up to me and we start talking about my book. She hadn't read it yet. And within five minutes, she's telling me like all about her fibroids and, and, all, and I know her for years and how her fibroids, you know, how she had all these surgeries and all this pain and we never discussed it and it just poured out of her. And so I think the one thing this book is doing is opening up a conversation and allowing people to just tell their stories and discuss their trauma and, and release it because that is so important. Very
3: true. Are you reading anything good yourself?
2: I am. I'm reading <laughs> I'm reading quite a few things. I have Bomb Shelter right here mm-hmm. <laughs> by by Mary Laura Phil Philpott. Philpott. Yep. yep. I'm sorry, I got it your salon, actually. So <laughs> right on my desk there's the manip- the Menopause Manifesto is also on my desk and I'm reading Alexis Page's Work Wait, I always get it wrong. It's Work Hard Not Smart. <laughs> <laughs> And you know it's about craft writing, so yeah. So I have a, a lot of books in my TBR pile, and I I switch, I flip back and forth. So awesome, love it, amazing,
3: Aileen. Thank you so much. This has been so fun. Thank you for braving your, you know, yeah, uh, discuss, but you know your current situation and doing this podcast anyway. And you know you're you have such a great voice on the page, like it comes through so clearly and you're so likable and it, it, it felt like, you know, sit, I mean, that's, this is going to sound so hokey. It sounds like sitting down to coffee with a friend, but I, I really mean it. Like, this is one of those books where, where you're just like, oh, she would be so fun to like, you know, I just, you know, so
2: anyway, you, you, it was great. <laughs> but um, I'm so glad you said that because when I was writing this book, that really was my goal. Like I wanted people to feel like they were talking to a friend on the back porch, having a cup of tea or a glass of wine and chatting about life. And yep. that's when we talk to our, our friends and get together and, you know, over cocktails or, or coffee in the morning or whatever. Um, that's when our stories come out. Yep. And so I, I'm i so glad you, you got that from this book. Thank you so much.
3: Oh, good. Awesome.
2: All right. Well, great. Thank you so much and uh, feel better. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much for having me today.
3: My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of moms. Don't have time to read books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at moms. Don't have time to read books. Hey,
0: it's Danny Pellegrino from everything iconic, ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget. Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig.
3: Also sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music.